paid good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me once again is Ms. Kat Ellinger. Hello. Also back in the booth is Mr. Kyler Fay. Hello. Another month of requests continues with one from Kyler Fay. It's Julio Questi's 1972 film Arcana, released four years after the one-two punch of Django Kill, If You Live, Shoot, and Death Laid an Egg. Questy goes from a Western and a Giallo of sorts to a supernatural film and a story about a mother and son psychic duo who may or may not be quacks. We're going to be splitting this unusual and difficult to find film as we go along. So, yeah, do what you want. I'm not going to boss you around. You can watch it, not, or you can just listen to this episode like a psycho. So, Kyler, why did you request this film? To answer that, it requires that I acknowledge another show that actually covered this film a little while ago, the podcast Unsung Horrors. This show, it's by Erica Schultz and Lance Scheibe, and their concept is to bring attention to underseen horror films, specifically those with fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. And this, I was alone at work one day, just doing some work stuff, listening to the show, and then my attention wandered a little bit, and then it some point i was like what are they talking about and then i rewound to the beginning and then listened to them discuss arcana and i had never was completely unaware of this film before even though i knew quest these the previous two films but somehow just missed the existence of this one so i watched it that day and just let it flow over me and then the next day i went back at it to try to suss out the its essential story a little bit more and it just kept lingering in my mind. And I'm so excited. I've somehow arranged for two other people to talk to me about it. So <laughs> amazing. And I have a feeling that you already were aware of this film. Yes. It's kind of a jallo as well. I'm going to be controversial. Oh, that's fine. I could get down with that. So when did you first see it? And what did you think when you saw it? Oh, well, this was one of the wondrous gifts of CG Freeleach, <laughs> Christmas Freeleach one year. I don't know. I'm just obsessed with Italian occult and witchcraft stuff. So it came up on my radar then. I don't know, actually, if I'd seen it when we did that podcast, not we did, or my old podcast of Death Laid and Eggs. I don't remember mentioning it. So it was within the last several years. <laughs> This century. I mean, it's typical questy, isn't it? He's a acquired taste, and I like that taste, but I accept that some people are not going to get what they want from this film, and that's fine. The films are amazing. I One of those filmmakers that I 
wish he had done some more because I'd be so curious to know what that would be. But the three big features that we got are just so cool. I hate to break it to you guys, but this is not a film. It's a card game. So there. Oh, okay. Sorry. What, what, what do you make of that that opening card? Does it? I don't know if it makes any sense to me or not. It's just uh, it's an interesting way to start it. I mean, what does it have to do with playing cards? Not a lot. You've got the tarot cards, I guess. I think the problem with Questy is there's a hell of a lot of symbolism, cultural specific symbolism in this and in Death Laid an Egg that, you know, I mean, I spent half an hour this morning researching the meaning of donkeys in Italy and came up with some interesting stuff, actually. But all I know is nothing is literal with Questy. So I don't know what to make of that. Well, I'm always curious as far as how much of this is Questy and how much of this is Franco Archilli, co-writer and editor who we've talked about on the show before because he edited a lot of movies that we watched uh, over the last few years, including The Conformist and, um, well, we didn't talk about Beyond Good and Evil, but I'd love to one of these days. We talked a little bit about The Passenger, The Night Porter, of course, but he had a hand in a lot of interesting stuff over the years, was a writer, was an editor. And then I don't think he directed, but he definitely was involved in a lot of films and all three of the Questy films, I believe that we have mentioned he had a hand in. Yeah. I know they worked as collaborators. I know Questy called him a collaborator. So it was very much, you know, not the usual Italian way of, get anyone to write a script, get 10 more other people in and stick a bunch of other names on. They they actually had a thing going. So I would imagine he had a hand in all of this, as he did most of Questy's work. There's also the thing that it got heavily cut by producers and stuff as well. And it's like you said, it's hard to tell. Did they put that in there? You never know. Producers and distributors have a terrible habit of, adding title cards to things so i think you just have to let it flow because we could be here for seven hours digesting every that's probably the best way to experience this at least the first time is to just let it wash over you because yeah i was trying to find some meaning but instead the movie just wanted to take me in some interesting places i mean we start off well, with that title card but we have the scene of all the men on the street and they're it took me a while to figure out that they were all sewer workers or underground workers and they set up this tent and they're all looking out and I'm just like, what am I watching here? And then finally later on, we get this whole thing of, oh, there's this whole world underground and that is the life that the father of our main character, the son, and I don't know if we get character names in this. We tend to, I think we're just going to say the son, son's mother, not and named. father. No, I don't. Yeah, the son isn't named, I don't think. I think the only name we get is Mrs. Tarantino, his mother. Yeah, Mrs. Tarantino. (laughs) So he's son Tarantino. It's it's really strange. I think it's, I mean, Questy was one of these directors. Italy never had, like, say, America, for example, other parts of Europe. Never really had that avant-garde experimental scene until much later on in the 70s, and then you had people like Franco Bracani who made this bizarre film called Necropolis, which makes this look coherent and functional as a narrative, because that is just bizarre. And Tina Almont, who's in this, is also in that. So, But that was about it. That was about the limits of, I guess, because Italy was such a commercial-focused industry, But what you did have at the end of the 60s was experimental filmmakers coming into genre, which I find really interesting. So he's kind of using genre, but he's not. There's a lot of politics in that. I mean, this is the start of the years of lead. You've got industrial protests. Death Laid an Egg is about chicken farmers genetically engineering chickens and... (laughs) strikes you know and questy was a partisan in world war ii he's very hardcore left you had people like questy pasquale festa campanile is another one even corbucci to a certain 
degree was put in politics in Western, Corrado Farina. And they were just taking advantage, I think, of the funding opportunities to make more avant-garde film. And it, and it is such a rich film in that respect. But I think the reason it gets ignored is because it's put into genre. So people think witchcraft horror and they get this. They get this bizarre um, subliminal statement of how <laughs> underground subway work. It does use certain aspects of genre, I guess, in that you've got a Norman Bates character, but this is probably the only film I've ever seen a psychic rape. There's a lot of religious stuff in there as well. I see the the son, because they're not named, they're kind of archetypical characters. He's like some... So the way I read it, I'll go out my fan theory, is he's like the Antichrist, the coming of the new Antichrist. Because you've got the below and the above where he's on the roofs and all the shit with the snake and that he can somehow possess people. It then becomes a like a post-apocalyptic, weird, zombie, political and a bit of a jalo. I think that's right on. I can really see it as this kind of this coming of an apocalypse kind of situation as it as it builds through with this guy as this figure that's at the center of it and bringing it all about oh. the son the the actor um maurizio degli espositi he so reminds me of like um joe d'alessandro if joe d'alessandro kind of like let himself go a little bit yeah he's got that look hasn't he i wondered about death late egg in this he's got two sort of classic italian stars he's got what's the name lucia bose in this one and Gina Lola Brigitte in Death Laid an Egg. And I wonder what that's about. Because <laughs> they're like, they were like big names. You work with auteurs. The son, the performance in that, he's got this way of being off putting and a little creepy and a little menacing. But then, then in other points, brings a little bit of whimsy to it when he's running around town doing magic stuff or when he's hanging out with those shitbird kids in the stairwell. Oh, I and, hate those kids. The cannibal kids. <laughs> yes. Cannibal kids. <laughs> he was, I thought he was really good, and he didn't have a really long career. I found, I think, just four films that he was in. I saw one of the other ones, which was Kill the Fatted Calf and Roast It, which is a giallo with where he plays this kid that comes back from boarding school and finds out that his siblings maybe murdered their dad and or maybe coming after him. And incest again, too, in that one. So a lot of fun. They were big on the incest in Italy in the 70s, though. They like that. Even in the sex comedy, there's loads of uh, new ball cousin coming of age sex comedies. With Lucia Bose, can you blame anybody? I don't know what he's doing here. He's almost like taking the Norman Bates thing and... Or you assume that because there's like a lot of voyeurism in it. Start like he's always creeping around, looking through things and looking at women and collecting those photos. And you think it's a bit of a psycho situation, but then it goes into something entirely different when he chases the snake down. But he definitely fits into that that sort of genre of fragile, not very masculine, disturbed violent men that was the thing which i love that whole genre very pretty looking and you know very sweet looking but yeah i could totally see someone like joe d'alessandro in this role as well but again i think i was reading that as a sort of antichrist situation once i decided that was my theory i just <laughs> i just <laughs> ran in. with it he's like the weird sort of second coming isn't he when he discovers his powers and he's got a bit of a Carrie vibe going on. Of course, all this is before The Omen. It's before Carrie. He's got that going on. It, so it kind of ties into all those weird supernatural adjacent films that came later on. It also reminds me of Martin, in a way. Sure. Yeah, you know, Romero's Martin. Because he's a bit impotent, isn't he? Apart from when he's with his mum and the, the weird uh, thing that they... <laughs> <laughs> that scene where she's washing him in the bath, though, then that reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this, that macabre, the 
Lamberto Barva film where there's a blind guy in there who gets washed by his mother. I don't know if that's a whole subgenre, mothers washing their adults. So, but then she sits down on the loo and pees and just there having a pee. It's so bizarre. I love it. What do you guys see as the relationship when they're working? Because I keep debating, does the mother have any sort of powers or is it all just a scam that she's running with her son? No, it's a scam. I think it's a scam. I think it's a scam, too. I don't. Like, the one thing that made me question if she actually has anything or not is at that point where he comes at her and is tell me how to make a real talisman. You show me your secrets and whatever. And she's claimed she knows nothing. But then starts seems to whisper something into his ear and i don't know what that if she maybe doesn't have any ability herself but she shared something that she knew from her mother who she had said his grandmother who was she described as a powerful witch you've also got the sicilian thing in there as well so i know questy from was from northern italy but they've got the whole southern italy thing and the peasant culture and the witchcraft and all of that that was kind of mocked by the North. But it turns up in a in a few films like Il Demonio, which is earlier on, and also Fulci's Don't Torch for Duckling, where you've got a woman who thinks she's a witch, but she's not actually a witch. So it seems to be connected to some sort of peasant witchcraft. But this is why I love Italian occult films, because occult and witchcraft is so entwined with Catholicism in a way that we don't have in like Britain and America. So things like folk, like there's those weird folk songs. What do they mean? And that semen, all those frogs start coming out of her mouth is incredible. Oh, yes. I just, yeah. <laughs> it is such a treat for the senses, this movie, just all of these bizarro moments where you're just like, what is going on? And yeah, to my earlier point and to your point, Kat, I, I kind of don't care. I'm just enjoying watching this a lot. <laughs> like him going around with all the, like you said, all the photographs and like circling the photos and lipstick and stuff. I'm just like, what is this guy doing? Or like when he's out later on and he's hanging all of these little objects around on the street above the subway. I'm like, okay. And nobody stops him. And he's up on those rooftops at one point, like those TV antennas, it looks like. And the people are like, hey, who, who sent you? And he just waves at them. And it's, it's very fun. <laughs> and these art installations. Everyone thinks he's doing some sort of like hippie counterculture art installation, but it's probably a spell. It's probably some sort of spell. The whole thing of him going underground, though, feels like a ritual. He goes underground, it feels like he's going into the underworld. And there's like a random maybe dead body in there and he starts collecting is it like lime or something off the floor and then after that you see him above ground so then he's on the rooftops so yeah there's definitely a, a lot of symbolism in it that i think you'd need to know more about italian witchcraft to make more sense of it but if you don't which obviously none of us do <laughs> I don't think it matters. I think it's just so different to the stuff that we would make, like the Hammer witchcraft films or, you know, the Possession Cycle or the Omen Cycle. It's just so different to that. It's so weird, which you quite often find in those Italian occult films, is they're totally on the their own rhythm. All the Colors of the Dark came out the same year as this, you know, and that's like a whole satanic orgy thing. It was their treatment in Italy of, of witchcraft was just so different. Baba Yaga is another one. So it's, it's, I think it plays more like a mystery as well. I don't think you're supposed to entirely know. It's it's a sort of mystery without any sort of <laughs> explanation at the end, basically. Kind of reminded me, actually, the, the last scenes I was thinking this time of who can kill a child. Yeah, when you're talking about those shitty kids, I was immediately thinking of them <laughs> from that island. Yeah. And that scene with the kids where they where he lures the guy in to be attacked and bitten by them, that is it almost made me wonder if the character of this man he draws in there thinks this might be like a cruising situation. Maybe That's what I thought as well, because he's kind of winking at and him. He goes in there and then there's <laughs> the then these horrible kids start biting him. <laughs> The only person that we get outside of the mother and son, because we see their clients and we open up with like 
all of these people looking for their apartment, their apartment buildings, this weird maze like thing with, like you said, all these shitty kids running around and we get uh, Tina Oman at that first psychic thing. And then it takes a long time, but she comes back into the narrative. And I was actually kind of surprised to see her show up again because it had been so long before we got her back. And then it becomes this whole thing about her getting married, but yet the son really likes her. And so he kind of sets plans against the fiance. I didn't see that coming whatsoever. No. And it's the first time I saw it, especially when she returns, I wasn't entirely sure that it was the same character again. Cause I'm like, wait, what is she doing again? And so it took me a while to piece that together. And then there's a couple little scenes with her, I guess her fiance and they're getting ready to buy a house or something. And, and, And it seems like she's in this, relationship that maybe isn't that great for her really and then she gets possessed by a, a weird magus because he's got some sort of i don't know what his power is but it's like he can turn people into puppets and one of the scenes i found most interesting this time around which i hadn't really noticed like i must have just you know it's one of those films that you go away from it and it's like a blur and really picked up on but he chases this. I think he goes into the Hades, the subway, doesn't he? Does this little ritual. He chases that snake down, which is very symbolic. But then we have that weird scene in that house. I think it's his neighbors. And the snake is in there. It's like, can he shape shift? Is he controlling the snake? But he, people, it's like he can take over all the people in the house. So they all start getting up and getting off with each other until that one husband gets up and starts turning all the lights it's like he's turning people into puppets and i think he's controlling the kids and he controls tina omont so that bizarre scene where it looks like she's possessed and he's touching her up it's like he's controlling her and i guess like every straight guy just uses it to get laid basically and do a bit of mischief as he says which <laughs> <laughs> is a really interesting way to look at witchcraft because generally it's associated with the woman isn't it or the crone or the hag or the vengeful woman or some aspect of jealousy and here it's a guy it's like if martin got carrie's powers because he does manifest that this kind of random psychokinetic ability too it seems like when he's there's a couple spots like maybe when he's especially agitated, the plates start floating around in the kitchen, yeah, and smashing on the floor, and which I did not expect. Like when he's about to rape his mum, <laughs> when he's got that knife out, and she's kind of writhing in ecstasy. It's a close up of the foot with the toes curling, and you think this is there's some contradictory stuff going on, and it, and he's on top of her, but he it is like this sort of weird impotence. The theme of greed as well. So it's like greed and lust. Like greed is very heavily featured in Death Laid an Egg. These like atrocious, greedy people because the mother's obsessed with getting all this money because the dad died poor and, you know, she, she wants this better home. I think when they initially do the seances, though, it's this weird class anger thing that they're trying to get they that n- neither of them think they've got any powers because it's like the old uh, Victorian table tappers, isn't it? He's hiding in the walls and she's calling him out at a certain time. Oh, you brought the tea in too quickly. So they've got some signal thing going on where he's watching and they're passing messages. But it's all like a big ruse to trick rich people out of their money so they can get rich so she can get a better apartment it's really fascinating it's just like class anger in there the anger of the son that his dad was killed and also i don't know if either of you agree with this maybe a mild insinuation that the son killed the father just didn't realize because the mother's going well we don't really know what happened maybe he was distracted or Maybe, you know, maybe he didn't hear the train and then you think the these son's got these powers. That he, you know, maybe the son killed him. So there's like so much stuff going on in there. And I wonder when they're in the scenes with the seance or the, the meditation ring and she's talking about the magnetic fields and all these things that they're supposed to be experiencing. And then he appears at some point, she introduces him. I My powers created this 
this boy and my son and here he is and he goes around and touches people and at one point he pulls a woman's eyelash off and he slaps one of these guys to your point earlier about how he seems to be able to manipulate people like puppets i wonder if he's like actually is exerting some sort of power over all these people that they're just sitting there putting up with us too because it's so it's it's so weird i think he always has this power he's just not aware of it until the weird underground and then the the chasing the snake thing and then he becomes aware that because she gets that whole story about the mother doesn't she being very powerful and there's some sort of family witchcraft thing and anything before that i think he always has this power he just learns to use it in when when he goes off on his little mini quest and becomes the antichrist well you've got the whole thing about his dad and that he i think it was cut in two by the train and then you've got him taking the train to get to the bank to collect his dad's what's the word i'm looking for like his retirement or the medical pension or yeah, they're yeah, also the well for welfare fraud. They're also committing welfare fraud. Well, you get those guys, you get the people in line. Like there's the one guy who only has one arm, and then it looks like the cops come in and take him out, or you know, underground secret police because they're all wearing suits. And then you've got the a legless guy at the pension place, and he's hiding behind a pillar. And I'm just like, what is going on here? This is really fascinating. And I think like all of these underground guys are supposed to be like striking. Is is that what I'm picking up to? So, which was very ironic to be watching this right around the time of the actor strike, the writer strike, the UAW strike. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, good for you guys. I'm glad that you're striking here, especially because work conditions seem absolutely horrific for these guys where they're getting injured all the time. It seems to, with, with that scene where he's collecting the money and the guy missing the arm is taken away, several times, a couple of times in this movie where cops are showing up being cops. We're not supposed to be on their side we're, uh, at, at all. And he has like one of the scenes later when the son is out in the street stringing stuff up and and then some kind of cop appears. And like, That's him. Get him. And he like runs off. So apparently the establishment the ruling class does not like what he's doing. He's messing something up for them, which is pretty awesome. I wonder if he's controlling the workers as well, because there's that great scene that where they're like almost like zombies in on the subway tree, train, and they're all banging on the windows, and which all kicks off. That was really unsettling for me. Yeah, it was very creepy. Yeah, because I saw some writer compare this to at least the the train scenes to what they were doing in Jacob's Ladder. And I'm like, well, I don't really see that. I don't see this as these these aren't soulless demons on on the train, maybe outside of the train, though. So because you get those shots. Yeah, no, they're real men. I think they're being manipulated by the sun. I don't think that I know the underworld is like this weird. It's almost like uncanny, like it. But he goes beyond their part. He goes deep into this thing. But I think they're real. Uh, the guy with the no legs, though, because he's claiming his dead dad's pension. And then the guy with no, who clearly has no legs is like, no, I really do have legs. And then the secret police carry him off. It's like, what a slice. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like walking on the floor. He's got no, no it's, a, you know, I have really got legs. I'm, I'm tricking them. And it's like, what is that alluding to? I'm also curious as far as when he goes out into the world, he goes to these areas where you just have like these women walking with a child and just all of these papers blowing and just piles of garbage. I'm like, I this is definitely not a travelogue for Italy. It is showing us some really ugly parts of what's going on here. When he finds, yeah, the donkey jaw out in this big garbage, he's like, donk, yeah, donkey teeth have power. I'm like, oh, okay. That was the one thing, you know, so I'm curious, Kat, what you found about donkeys, because I never knew that donkey teeth have power. Apparently they used to have donk. they used to worship donkeys in ancient times, and they were seen as sort of you know these majestic creatures or whatever with these powers but and i did find one website talked about 
apparently in the 60s, protesters would take donkeys to protests. And apparently it was a sign of sort of accusing your enemy that they were like ripping you off or that it's like some sort of it has this heavy symbol and they used to take donkeys to these protest marches as a symbol to sort of say fuck you so i wonder if you think about that in the 60s this hoisting of this donkey what relevance that has because it's not they're not worshiping the donkey although you've got the donkey jaw it's like, is this a reference to strikes again? Do you think the years of lead were awful? I mean, you had the left, the far right, the far left, and there's car bombs going off and there's politicians being killed. And, you know, there's all this stuff going on on the streets. It's not it's not um, safe there. And there's all this violence which comes into the jalo. But he seems to be commenting on that i think especially in regards to the cops and how they act thinking of questy as a total leftist so you've got that going on and even like the striking and all of that stuff there's clear references to protesters striking what's weird is at the center of it all they've got this shitty guy and his weird shitty you just want to get rich. Like, they're not really the heroes, are they? They're not really... There's no heroic figure at the centre of it all. You don't have, like, a real protagonist to root for, necessarily, because it's... <laughs> it's like everything is fucked. I'm on the side of the guy with no legs. That's whose side I'm on. And they don't really have, other than getting rich, which I don't know if the son really cares about that at all, he doesn't have a purpose. He just kind of wanders around. And there's a long stretch of this movie where he's just wandering around, doing stuff. And, I mean, the movie just kind of moves along. It's not like, oh, well, he has to do this in order to do that, in order to get this, in order to do that. It just kind of follows these characters, which I'm okay with. There's a little bit of a change. I guess when it gets to the point where he's finally, I need to understand some real power. Mother's making that that fake talisman out of peas and sawdust and whatever. And he's so angry about it. His yeah. like line reading him <laughs> is just is fantastic. And it's this is just all rubbish. And she's like, oh, of course, this is how we make our money. And I don't think he cares about the scam really at all anymore at that point. He wants women, doesn't he? But there's there's that one scene where he cross dresses and he's never introduced ever again. You think, oh, is this going to be a Norman Bates situation? He's got a stocking over his face. It's not just cross. That scene where he's looking at himself in the mirror first and tugging at his mouth and looking at his body. I wonder if that's like a, could it be possible that some, the spirit has inhabited him and is, learning its new form even at that point that occurred to me too where he's yeah that's an interesting he, he, idea he seems to be very curious yeah. about his own physicality at that point and then for some reason puts on that that dress and that stocking and has pictures hanging everywhere who knows laying on all the pictures of hands there's a lot of sexual undertones going on there but i don't think it's strictly freudian it's not just this it kind of it throws you off balance because it sort of presents itself like that, but it's not that. It's not the, the Norman Bates situation at, at all. In fact, he overcomes the mother and puts frogs in her mouth, and then she seems to become one of his puppets. <laughs> You're talking about the, the people that come to these psychic readings and that they're very much like zombies. There's a great moment where you have all of these people, I think it's like four or five people, standing in front of their doorway, and they're just standing there and the camera comes up and the camera's kind of winding its way through and stops. And one of the guys just turns around and looks right at us, looks right at the camera. It didn't think that we were supposed to be seen. Like I felt very accused when that guy turned around. <laughs> <laughs> but you then you, <laughs> you cut back and from the front and there's nobody there that was representing us. Like I was like, oh, was that a POV shot from somebody? No, it's just the camera. I thought it was great. I mean, he does that a lot, though, doesn't he? He's very experimental, even within the Western. You know, he just doesn't do anything straightforwardly, which I really appreciate. I just love this sort of really psychedelic, trippy 
I just think what a time to have been alive and active and making films. They're all political. They're all on drugs. <laughs> they were having the time of their lives making these weird films. It's like that's that's all I need, really. I know some people have uh, compared him to, or this film particularly, to Hodorowski. No, I don't agree with that. Yeah, you have got, well, maybe the tarot symbolism, but the tarot in this is used in a very genre way where you you just know the death card is going to come out. Anytime anyone in a horror film starts fiddling with a tarot deck. So he's not doing Hodorowski. I guess that's, I guess because it's so weird, that's the only, in it aesthetically, I guess. People are sort of thinking, oh, it's weird, it's political, okay, it's like, it's like El Topo or holy mountain but it's it's not that i don't think i don't think questy was a surrealist i don't know what he was up to with this but yeah he felt like he was really pushing the envelope maybe he just got sick he had to make all those documentaries maybe he's like i'm gonna make something that's the opposite of a documentary <laughs> i was reading an interview with him when he was like i'm glad i did those documentaries it taught me how to use a camera and i thought yeah but you don't use it like a documentary in your films, it's like the opposite. It's it's like a really bizarre, like it's totally got his own style, I guess. It just stands out. It's use of soundtrack as well. I noticed uh, parts of the soundtrack were from Joe D'Amato's Death Smiles on the Dough, which is interesting. But then you've got maybe, I don't know where the folk music was from, maybe Sicilian, but you've got those people in the kitchen singing that folk song. I had read... It may have just been a Wikipedia or something. There, I had read that Questy had recorded that or something like it somewhere. That he where he, maybe when he's working on one of his documentaries, he captured this, and it's he, it's really unsettling when that starts, and also that whole sequence where the people that doing that shuffling dance in the kitchen and the frogs, and and then again later when there's a lot of people in in the house, that really stressed me out because my my nightmare is a bunch of people invading my house and like messing up everything. And also, I have this theory that there is a filmmaker currently working today that saw this, and that is. Darren Aronofsky, because his film Mother seemed like that kind of expanded where, because in that movie, their home is constantly being invaded and trashed by these ever enlarging crowds. And when I, when I saw this, I'm like, I bet this was the prototype for that. And it's really, it's really unsettling me in the same, in the same way. That's really interesting. I still haven't seen Mother actually <laughs> it sounds too stressful it sounds way too stressful i appreciated it it's it seems like it has a lot of haters and a lot of defenders and nobody's really in the middle on that by the end though there's a whole like half the community are in there and they're doing what looks like an abortion on tina omar she's on that table and lucha bose has applied this taste and it seems to be doing this very witchy home remedy treatment there. Yeah, I presumed it was an abortion because of the way that she's lying, but she's got like nettles or something on the table. She takes this like ham. So it's like, why are they aborting this child? And then all these people, there's like loads of people in there and they're all singing these weird songs. And he's just there looking like he's lost the will to live. And then they're all dead. Like everyone's dead. When she's in the kitchen, presumably working on this abortion, and then the that that lady, the little person, comes in with that box. Well, she asks if she can go into the kitchen to uh, to see what's going on, and then somebody's like, no, go go away or whatever. And then I guess at that point, she goes into that room full of covered chairs where the boy is sitting, staring ahead. That was a little unnerving too, because she's just whispering in his ear, listing all these parts of the body. And the room looks like they were about to have the wedding there. Because I thought, to start with, if they crashed the wedding somehow, because they've got this white material in this box, and it looks like a like a wedding dress. Yeah, like a dress or a veil or something. Do you know what was the most shocking part of this whole movie for me was when suddenly we got a title card that said, end of part one. That end of part one, and then that kind of that sort of triumphant almost bombastic kind of 
score comes back at the start of part two and it's like, oh we got a, it's like we're gonna see another movie now he's walking down the street i expected him to have like a pink can in his hand or something you know yeah i was just like what wait what this movie takes so many turns that i do not expect and i'm i'm grateful for this i wish that this movie though had some sort of proper release i mean of all the movies that we see releases for yeah it's i don't know why it's annoying and yeah i think the issue with a lot of italian films there was one the elements just aren't there i know this one out of very its distribution history just sucked it it didn't play many theaters it so it's whether there's an element left but then also because it's not major studios it's tracking down rights holders and I mean, they're not as bad as Spanish, are they? The words because a lot of the rights holders are like people that got them in perpetuity and <laughs> like Dorado companies like that. So, yeah, it is frustrating because I don't know. I think this is a film that that could be maybe appreciated more now by the more arty genre people. And I wondered too. If film elements survived, or even if a decent print exists, because apparently only a few prints were made, and it did not really get much distribution. However, I read an article online, a really badly computer-translated article about Questy's films, and the writer in there says that there's a cut with more of the incest in it that is... And it's a, it's yeah, a, they cut about half an hour, didn't they? Really? They That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Appa- apparently, the Cineteca Nazionale has that. Like, that's that they have that version, according to this blog post that I read. But that sort of gave me so, a little more hope that maybe at least a usable print might exist that somebody could someday scan and try to try to do a cleanup on it. Oh, hey, if there's more incest, I'm all for it. I don't know if that would make it make more sense or not, or just add to the confusion, but I'm game for it. I'd love to see that. Oh, absolutely. No, I think it's just blasphemous, isn't it? If you consider Italy is a heavily Catholic country. So like witchcraft, incest, necrophilia, all of these things are even more sort of profane reference there. It always amazes me that what they got away with because a lot of the Italian films would get cut even more when they got to the US, which confuses me because the US was supposed to be more progressive. But things like, say, Absolutely Dr. Not. Hitchcock <laughs> or uh, Dr. Hitchcock or The Whip in the Body or films like that just got cut to shreds. So, but yeah, you've got to think culturally, it's even more powerful. But then those figures, the mother and the father, as archetypes you've got the whole catholicism there's definitely a lot of rage going on here about the establishment maybe about religion this is someone who wants to be very provocative well and i think that that was questy's bag so much i mean we covered uh django kill if you live shoot it's just Bonkers. Wow. Bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I watched Death Lays and, and Laid an Egg for this, and that was bizarro. Just to know, like, it felt like a giallo that was turned on its head, since you basically know that Jean Louis Trintignier is the killer from the very first scene. There's no mystery to it. And also, it has this weird, like, sci fi angle to it. Yeah, the chicken. The chickens. <laughs> and it's what the hell is happening and you got that and also the back to the labor strike thing it opens with these these people that have this fe- weird factory and then just outside this fence they're workers that they've laid off for all this kind of standing there glaring at them <laughs> it's so funny when you get the guy who's just wandering around the wasteland playing the violin in here and i'm just like what is going on and he comes back for the end credits if memory serves but you're just like yeah, it's like the weird, it's like the Pied Piper with no followers. It's like he's turned up from a Yan show film or something. It's like, what is, <laughs> who is that guy? As they wheel out the, the random donkey. Um, and you hear these shots. And obviously, we've done so much Czech cinema now and the shots in the time just there thinking of like things like the cremator and that, you know, these weird Czech films about, World War Two and communism. 
And you think, well, Italy was kind of beyond fat- fascism at this point. I know Questi said the war never left him. It like it left some sort of dent in his psyche. And he was really nihilistic. Like Django Kill was like nihilistic, considered one of the most violent westerns ever made. Death Laid an Egg isn't so much violent as it's really pessimistic. And this one as well, yeah, it's pessimistic. There's no one you can really even root for or like because it's just despicable people. I was wondering if there was a crossover between this and Death Laid an Egg because you get eggs quite often, especially in one of the earliest shots. Laying an egg or sitting on an egg. In a hallway. Right. And you get that shot of the, in the hallway, there's this egg case with an egg there. And then he's staring because you have these two women that are bent over picking this stuff up, I guess. And we're just looking right at their gussets under their, their skirts here. I, and thought I'm like, they, I thought they were birthing the eggs. That's not a reference. And then I start thinking of George Bataille because he had that egg thing going on. I mean, who fucking knows? I'm curious, Kyler, was, has this discussion in any way been enlightening or what you were looking for? <laughs> I mean, we're not coming up with anything. I mean, other than the incredible uh, Antichrist thing that Kat's got going on, I'm not helping. I'm just feeling great because I was afraid that you guys were going to understand this a lot better than me, and I would feel really stupid. It makes me feel like I'm on the same level with that. Don't you see the labor strife that's happening in here and that it all returns to the Red Brigade? Yeah, no, no, nothing. What do you make of that when we get to the final sequence when the military force, the police force arrives and there's this shooting and they run out into the street and the mother is shot? What? What's? It seems like that's maybe they're at this apocalyptic point and yeah it's gone crazy hasn't it it's like but the shooting of the mother i don't know it seems like some sort of sacrifice like she has to die although i don't know where the son's gone because he's just run off with a mob of what looked like factory workers (laughs) he's got all this power and he just legs it off oh guns he's just maybe it's like a the state reacting against what they think may be like some sort of political upheaval or, or some kind of danger to their power or whatever when all these all these guns start getting fired. It's really jarring and pretty interesting, too. Yeah, it does feel like it's the end of the world. Yeah, you don't see the people either, do you? You don't see, like, where it's coming from. It's this vague threat that something's going on. You don't actually see it, which is interesting. But he does play with sound so much, and in Death Laid an Egg, the way that he plays with sound is really unnerving. Really, really unnerving. There's like people that sound like they're screaming and the use of the folk music, and then the random little incidental music that turns up from the Joe D'Amato film. (laughs) There's the same composer, I can't remember his name, but I've heard it in at least three other films because they just didn't give a shit then, did they? <laughs> so they put that in. So some of that could have not even been Questy's choice. That could have been down to distributors. I just wonder how he got everyone on, like what the actors thought they were in. What did they think? I, I couldn't find any interviews or an, anything anywhere. You know, what did they actually think they were doing with this film? <laughs> I mean, just to find stuff about Questy and to find stuff about this film, there were so many articles written about Death Lays an Egg and, and Django Kill, but it's since this was four years later, since it's not easily seen, just people were like, oh, yeah, and he did this thing. I mean, there were some writers who thankfully actually looked at this and, and discussed it, but... It's a lot where it's just like, oh, yeah. And then later on, he did this other stuff. Earlier, Kat mentioned uh, Il Demonio. And I was thinking about that, too, as kind of a line from there to Arcana. And I recently rewatched it. I listened to your commentary on it, actually. This is going to sound like a little crazy, but I've written a novelization of Arcana. It's not a full length. It's, it's about a 18 20,000 ish word novella and 
I was hoping that I would have had it ready to share by now. It needs another edit. I might put it on my website that I don't use at all at some point, but put a created a piece of fan fiction headcanon in it. I love this. Actually based on... (laughs) So this is going back to when I heard about the movie the first time on Unsung Horrors on the show. They do a double feature pick with everything they talk about. And Lance picked Il Demonio as his pick. And oh, that's he had interesting. A, well, there you go. <laughs> he had this kind of headcanon that maybe the Lucia Bose character in Arcana could somehow be the daughter of Purif in Il Demonio. And that's like the mother that was the powerful witch back then, which didn't quite work because Puri doesn't survive that film. But still, I thought that was a lot of fun. So I created in between parts one and two, I made this kind of interstitial bit where the son goes to down to Lucania, where Il Demonio took place, and does some research there, and then finds the grave of his grandmother and does some magic there, and like becomes becomes like fully endowed with, with his power. Because I'm like, I'm gonna need to explain this at some point if I'm gonna write about it. I can't. It can't just be like a bunch of strung together images. But so. Anyway, I thought that was a great idea that Lance had for a double feature and it inspired a alternate take on this story. <laughs> the whole the whole sudden witchcraft thing though is fascinating. I got the two um is it Ernesto Martino books. He was like an anthropologist and he went and studied Southern witchcraft and a lot of Il Demonio is actually based on proper rituals. There's those are rituals in it. But then there's a series of documentaries, not to drop you down a further rabbit hole. <laughs> but there's a whole series of 60s documentaries. I can't remember who directed them. But if you look up the writer on witchcraft, you can find them, I think, on his Wikipedia. Where this guy went out. Who was it who did that? And he filmed all these rituals, people that thought they were possessed by tarantulas. Just these bizarre. So you've got to think this is a northern Italian filmmaker making a film about Sicilians and um you know is some of this to do with how he perceives the south and superstition and that strange well you know it was it was mostly mocked by northerners especially Romans and in a lot of Italian comedies the Kent was the same everywhere the country figure is the idiot I don't think he was being like that because he talks about them having to come up and thinking they were going to find their fortune and they end up ruined in the city. So, um, But it is interesting that it kind of links to a tradition that was still kind of going at the time, folk magic, folk medicine. I'd love to see if some of the stuff that he came up with, like the whole when she's doing that abortion thing, maybe that was a reference to something. That, that was actually a thing because it is this wild it's not anything like what we could like Celtic witchcraft or neo-paganism or anything it's, it's totally wild some of the rituals they have I love it I absolutely love it yes it's fantastic and, and I'm sure there's a lot because we don't have the cultural context and or, or the history or whatever there's a lot of stuff we might that's what I miss I just miss that when when you know there's something out you know there's heavy symbolism going on in there that you don't quite get. Like, I'm not entirely convinced that was a protest donkey, but, you know. It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, but they weren't worshipping the donkeys either. So you've got to think, like, what does that mean? What does the donkey mean? Why the jaw? Um, and in ancient times, they were considered these powerful, magical creatures. So it's interesting. They seem to have fallen on hard times in more recent year. I don't think anybody's revering them as magical lately. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somewhere. Well, did the donkey symbolize the workers? Were the workers the donkeys? The jawbone of an ass is supposed to represent the word of God, right? In Judges 15.15, wasn't it Samson that smote someone with a jawbone of an ass? Oh, there you go. There, That's bringing something. Yeah. That I hadn't thought about. I'm not very well versed on Bible, unfortunately. No. <laughs> no, neither am I. But I know some of the the weirdo things. Uh, you know, like when I was a kid, I was just like jawbone of an ass. What What are you talking about? <laughs> what are now these people seen on? A film with that one in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was waiting for him to, to pick it up and use it like a weapon, but, you know, because donkey teeth are magic, so. Yeah, at the end of my notes, it says, why the donkey question mark? No idea what that symbolizes, so. <laughs> so I, I concluded I, them. I, I certainly hope for our listeners that we have completely clarified this oh, yeah. entire <laughs> matter for them. There is nothing that is left to the imagination now, yes. But that's the good thing about it, because then you can keep going back and noticing. It's definitely a film. I've probably seen it about three times now. You, the, it rewards you keep going back, then you notice. And I, and I know even this time around, there's a lot of stuff that I'm not noticing. I love films. Like, when do we get the chance to be surprised these days? You know, it's regrettable that there aren't more of these questy films to watch. I mean, he made some movies for TV, and I think those are available over at Cinemageddon, but subtitles are elusive for those. It's just amazing that they have subs for this, and I think they were fan subs. Yeah, they're definitely fan subs on the one I saw. Later in his life, he made a bunch of short films in his apartment, and there is a, I haven't seen it, but there is a DVD release of that which I'm not sure if that, I don't know, probably some company in Europe. I don't, probably wasn't released in the U.S., but that's out there too, if it can be found. Yeah, I think one of his TV movies was subtitled, and I'm trying to remember which one, but yeah, it's it's tough. And yeah, thank goodness for the, I can't remember who wrote Mavericks of Italian Cinema, because that's the most that I've read. Curti, right, thanks. Yeah, Roberto Curti did it. I really want to see his his vampire. He did like a TV one of um, Vampirismus or something based on ETA Hoffman. And there's like about randomly three minutes of it on YouTube. Yeah, the whole thing is on CG, but it's, again, it's not subtitled. Well, I sent two years in in Italian, and I can basically just introduce myself. So, <laughs> oh, there you go. Your nome. <laughs> I recently tried to start studying some Italian back when in high COVID at the beginning. I was like, ah, Rosetta Stone has this lifetime deal for a relatively cheap price. So I bought that and then never looked at it again for a couple more years. And then decided, I'm like, well, I'm going I'm to try to do something here because I've always sucked at languages in school. I gave, I tried several and gave up on them when the, I, the grammar got too difficult or whatever. But I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a try. But if I had known that like decades ago that I was going to be this huge fan of Italian cinema, maybe I would have picked Italian back then instead of German and Russian and and. I'm not progressing very quickly with it. I, I'm it's a hard, it's a hard language. I speak Spanish, and I thought that would make it easier. In some ways, it kind of does, but in other ways, it complicates it. And it's got a, a lot of the grammar system is based still on Latin. Everything is gendered and then pluraled, and that's gendered. And oh my God, it's a head fuck. So I've been doing it for about two years now. I can understand a lot more than I can say. But I'm saying to my Italian teacher, I only see her once a week and I'm terrible at doing homework, but I'm like, I suck. You know, why am I two years later and I still can't hold a conversation? And she's like, no, it's not. That's actually quite normal. Um, Because it is, it's really hard language. And then they've got all these sayings that have got double meanings or different meanings or just you look at them and you think, what the hell does that mean? Because they're words that mean other things. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a saying. But millions of those fucking sayings. I started because of the film, because there's so much that remains untranslated. This weird experimental stuff. I love Italian comedies. Hardly any of those out officially. So it's like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, it's going to be easy in six months' time. I'm going to be watching films. No. <laughs> You should go back to it because it's rewarding. It is rewarding. It's just hard. I've re I reached the point in my lessons where I'm like, okay, this is where I have to try harder because the computer was telling me that I was speaking very well. But then I'm like, what the hell did I just say though? It was <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was I was accurately repeating back things and occasionally answering something. I'm like, but this isn't going to be a much benefit if I have no idea what the meaning of anything is so i'll keep at it 
Yeah, keep at it. It's just <laughs> tough. It's tough, but it's worth it. You just reminded me that I think I bought a Babbel membership back during the I pandemic. got a Babbel membership, Mike. It, it tells me every day to go on that. <laughs> All right, guys, let's go ahead and take a break. And we're going to play a preview for next week's show right after these brief messages. That's right. We'll be back next week with a look at a woman in the dunes. Until then, I want to thank my co-hosts, Kat and Kyler. So, Kyler, what is the latest with you, sir? Oh, just real busy with the day job, trying to get some writing done where I can. I do have a publication that I think is going to happen by Christmas called The Vampire Circus. That was supposed to have been out on Halloween. I didn't make the deadline because we're trying to compile it into a... It's going to be an ebook, but I'm trying to compile a physical copy that's a double with another story that I have, like an old ace double. I've done that a couple other times, and I, I like the format, even though I know no one will buy it, but it, it will, but it'll, it'll be fine. So I got that going on, and a couple other writing related deadlines are happening next year that I can't, don't really have any real information on right now. People can find me on what i'm still calling twitter i don't know if that will still even be a thing by the time this by the time this happens it might this have airs. imploded in a uh, anti-semitic uh i know disaster I, yeah a, a few weeks back i did get on blue sky and i'm trying to like kind of recreate my twitter situation there slow going though but i do need to remember to start offering out my invite codes and a couple other social medias that i don't really know how to use but yeah blue sky in the former twitter and i do have a site at kylerfay.com it is severely neglected though it we but 2024 is going to be the year i'm going to change that i i swear and kat how about you i was just reminding me of for three years i've had catellinger.com and it's, <laughs> it's not even open <laughs> there's nothing on it what have i been up to i mentioned coffin joe last time i was on didn't i at the moment, I'm studying for my master's degree, so I've been really busy with that on Jungian psychology. I did have a whole Jungian psychoanalysis um, planned out for this, but I thought I'd, people are sick of hearing it now. Keep <laughs> it under wraps. So I've been doing that. I've still got my Patreon, which is Confessions of a Sinister, and... I'm trying to think in terms of releases. So a bunch I released for imprint just came out. The Orphanage, uh, Night of the Eagle, and The Skeleton Key. So I produced all the extras for those, and they've just come out. I'm not on any of them. I just did the extras with some brilliant people, lots of brilliant people on those. And I'm still doing a lot of producing, discs, all that jazz. Nothing I can really announce at the moment though so it's just steady come come and join my patreon where i do videos in a slightly confused and tangent way they've enjoyed my 
confusing speak here. Well, thank you so much, folks, for being on the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you want to hear more of me shooting off my mouth, check out all the shows that I do over at WeirdingWayMedia.com. Thanks especially to our Patreon community. If you want to join the community or join Kat's community, visit Patreon.com slash Projection Booth. Every donation we get helps the Projection Booth take over the world. Uh-huh.